Chapter 21 of Pollyanna's Jewels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Emily Maynard. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter 21 Discoveries. The telephone bell woke them about two o'clock one morning and Pollyanna had a bad two minutes, while Jimmy stumbled along the hall, too sleepy or else too excited to find the electric light button. The saying that ill news travels fast derives its authority from the assumption of most human beings that their friends can wait indefinitely to hear of their good fortune, while tidings of disaster must be rushed to them with all haste. Pollyanna, sitting up in bed and listening with her heart in her mouth, was reassured by Jimmy's way of receiving the news. "'Good work, old man,' he applauded. "'Keep it up!' And then, after a minute, "'You can count on that. You know I'd have to lock her up to keep her away.' The receiver clicked back into place, and Jimmy came down the hall, chuckling. "'Another James Carew,' he told Pollyanna. Eight pounds and a quarter, and everything lovely.' Of course the news was too important to wait until daylight. I'm glad he didn't wait, said Pollyanna. It's worth being waked up to know that Sadie's baby is here and Sadie is all right. I wonder, she continued reflectively, if they'll call him Jamie or Junior or James or Jimmy. Quite a choice, isn't there, dear? But Jimmy, burrowing down into his pillow, refused to be beguiled into a discussion of the fascinating theme. Pollyanna had no difficulty in guessing to whom Jimmy had referred when he intimated that it would be necessary to employ force to keep somebody away from something. She justified his opinion by accompanying him into the city that morning to get a peep at the baby and congratulate the proud father who, like most of his kind, seemed to take a little more credit for what had happened than was altogether justified by the facts. A few days later, she saw Sadie, who, radiant with happiness, declared that she felt equal to anything. I can see that she's going to be the same sort of mother that she's been a wife, Pollyanna told Jimmy, absolutely absorbed in her wonderful son. And that will be good for Jamie. He needs a little wholesome neglect. I suppose that's what accounts for my perfections, suggested Jimmy modestly. If ever a man knew the meaning of neglect... He shook his head, as if his emotions could not be translated into speech, and Pollyanna laughed heartlessly. It was a little shock to her the next time she saw Jamie to find him poring over the genealogy of the Weatherby family. "'I'm interested to see just what sort of people were back of this little newcomer,' he told her. "'I care more about it on his account than I ever did on my own.' "'Well, I never had the pleasure of meeting any of the baby's remote ancestors,' Pollyanna replied gaily, "'but I consider he's very lucky in his father and mother.' For all her light tone, the incident troubled her, and when she told Jimmy about it, she added, "'I wish that miniature was in Aunt Ruth's hands.' "'You've always made a mountain out of that molehill,' Jimmy returned shortly." Indeed, the miniature had been the occasion of one of their infrequent disagreements." It was during the absence of Jamie and Sadie in Europe that one day Jimmy had come home much elated to display a new acquisition, an old-fashioned miniature set with pearls. The face that looked out at Pollyanna was that of a colonial belle, 
and Pollyanna, who had seen it before, gazed at her husband with an expression of consternation. "'Jimmy, what are you doing with this?' "'Your tone implies a fear that I stole it, my dear. I assure you to the contrary.' "'But it's Aunt Ruth's great-grandmother.' "'And my great-great-grandmother. "'So Aunt Ruth has just given it to me.' "'Pollyanna's exclamation implied dismay rather than pleasure. "'Why, if Jamie ever finds out... "'I should think Aunt Ruth had done enough for Jamie, "'so it would be rather out of place for him to grudge me this little gift. "'It isn't that, Jimmy, but this is a family heirloom. "'If Jamie knew she had given you this... He'd know Aunt Ruth didn't believe him to be her nephew. Jimmy drew a long breath. I don't know, but you're right about that, he admitted. But what was I to do? I couldn't very well refuse it when she offered it to me, could I? Anyway, I didn't think. Pollyanna looked at his rueful face and gave his arm an affectionate pat. Sorry to be such a wet blanket, dear, but I can't help being a little anxious. The older I grow, the more I hate these secrets. It's like walking on thin ice all the time. After all these years, we wouldn't want Jamie to find out. Good Lord, Jimmy protested. Of course we wouldn't. I'll put the thing in our safety deposit box. There's plenty of room yet. And forget it. I'm afraid I'd hurt Aunt Ruth's feelings if I took it back. And besides, I... Well, you know that the lady is my great-great-grandmother... I've given up quite a little on Jamie's account, but I'm hanged if I feel like giving this up, too. Pollyanna looked at him proudly. Jimmy, she said, I honestly think you're the most generous person in the world. And her air of conviction made Jimmy feel well paid for surrendering his claim to be known as the descendant of a distinguished house. But the miniature, safe in the vaults of a Boston bank, was destined to make trouble. The baby was about six weeks old when Aunt Ruth resolved on a family dinner party with Pollyanna and Jimmy as the guests. They had eaten their way through several courses without a suggestion that the gaiety was not to continue when suddenly a bomb exploded in the shape of a casual question from Jamie. Aunt Ruth, where is that miniature of great-great-grandmother? Had they had time to plan an answer, it would have been an easy matter to have avoided the catastrophe. Later, as Pollyanna thought it over, she devised a dozen replies by which his suspicion could have been allayed without the sacrifice of truth. But the question took Mrs. Pendleton quite off her guard. She had not realized that Jamie had ever paid any attention to the miniature, and the discovery that her gift to Jimmy had imperiled the secret they had all sacrificed to preserve added to her demoralization. She looked at him without a word. "'You know the one I mean, don't you?' asked Jamie, after a silence so protracted that Pollyanna felt a wild desire to scream. "'That old miniature set with pearls. It struck me today that James Jr. had a little the look of his distinguished ancestress, and I wanted to compare him with the picture and see if I merely imagined it.' Still Mrs. Pendleton said nothing and Pollyanna saw with consternation that she had turned quite white. Stealing a glance at Jimmy, she discovered that he was blushing, as hotly as if his conscience were weighed down by the theft of the unlucky miniature. 
Pollyanna gallantly tried to create a diversion by saying, I'm ashamed to be so ravenous, Uncle John, but I really think I could eat a little more chicken. She had spoken too late. Jamie's eyes went from Jimmy's flushed and guilty face to Aunt Ruth's colorless one. What's queer about that miniature? he demanded, his tone peremptory. As if hypnotized, Mrs. Pendleton answered him. I gave that miniature to Jimmy. To Jimmy? Why on earth? Upon my word, Jamie, John Pendleton interrupted sharply. I can hardly see that you have a right to take your aunt to task for giving Jim a present. If it was his intention to end the unfortunate controversy by putting Jamie in the wrong, he was unsuccessful, for Jamie turned on him, a face changed almost beyond recognition. I don't care how much she gives Jim, sir, but you'll have to own she made a curious selection. That is the picture of her great-grandmother. It ought to be kept in the family. Her nephew has the first right to it. It was so dreadfully true that no one could say a word. Pollyanna was thankful that Mr. Pendleton had disregarded her request for more of the chicken, for she realized that she could not possibly eat another mouthful of the delicious dinner. Sadie, pale and shaken, was staring with fascinating terror at her husband's altered face. Aunt Ruth looked on the point of fainting. Uncle John was frowning, and Pollyanna knew from Jimmy's expression that he was cursing himself for not having acted on her suggestion. Everyone was waiting for Jamie's next move. He spoke with terrible deliberation. I'm inclined to think you're all in a secret which has been kept from me. He looked hard at Mrs. Pendleton. Have you any information about that lost nephew of yours that hasn't been passed on to me? Jamie, my dear son. No, wait a minute. His voice was hard and unnatural. I'm not your son. I'm either your nephew or else a pauper you reared out of charity. Which is it? Oh, Jamie, for God's sakes, don't take it that way. Speak to him, John. Tell him. She broke off weeping, unable to continue. But Jamie had bent his gaze on Jimmy's perturbed face. I believe I see a little resemblance, he said. I'm afraid I owe you an apology, Jim. Never was a family dinner party a more hopeless failure. Trembling violently, Sadie sprang to her feet as Jamie rose and seized the crutches which leaned against the wall just behind him. He addressed Mrs. Pendleton with a bitterness very slightly veiled by the requirements of courtesy. I'll ask you to excuse me. As this is a family dinner, I have no right here. Jamie, Mrs. Pendleton wailed, do you want to break my heart? I'm sure, said Jamie stiffly, that your nephew will be able to console you. He slipped his crutches under his arms and swung toward the door. Sadie ran toward him, but he stopped her with a gesture. If you don't mind, he said, I'd rather be by myself for a little. The fact is, I married you under false pretenses. Our child is the descendant, not of one of the leading families of America, but of a nameless waif. Please give me a little time to think this out. Jamie, Sadie sobbed, let me go with you, let me. But as he went on without answering, 
she turned an agonized face on the others. He'll never forgive us, she cried. Not any of us. And she wrung her hands. Pollyanna's sympathy for the disillusioned friend of her childhood had changed by degrees to indignation. As she realized the imminent collapse of Jamie's air castles, she could have wept on his shoulder. Now she would have enjoyed giving him a hard shaking. Her cheeks were burning and her eyes feverishly bright as she addressed Jamie's weeping wife. Sadie, stop crying instantly. You must control yourself. She added indignantly, I don't know what you mean by saying that Jamie will never forgive us. I can't see that he has anything to forgive. He's been kept in the dark, cried Sadie, struggling valiantly with her tears. No one knew what it meant to him to feel that he came of such good stock. He's spoken of it so often since the baby was born. She turned to Mrs. Pendleton piteously. Oh, Aunt Ruth, is it really true that Jimmy... Mrs. Pendleton sat with the tears running down her cheeks, apparently unable to answer. And then Jimmy himself said gravely, I'm very sorry, Sadie. I'd a thousand times rather Jamie had never found it out. But is it certain, or just a possibility? John Pendleton took it on himself to settle that point. A certainty, Sadie. But Jim here was willing to relinquish his rights to spare Jamie's feelings. I don't see why, when we've all been ready to make every sacrifice, he should act as if we'd been in a conspiracy against him. Pollyanna jumped briskly to her feet. All sorts of ideas were seething in her brain. The practical side of her was intensely aware of the spoiled dinner, of the wondering servants, catching the sound of tense voices, of the waiting salad and dessert. But that was present only in the background, as a dying man might be conscious that his bed was hard. She knew that all these people she so dearly loved were at a crisis of experience which might cast an ugly shadow over many a year to come. And it was all so unnecessary. Her blood boiled at this waste of happiness. "'I'm going to talk to Jamie,' she cried. "'He's got to listen to reason.' She ran out of the room and up the stairs. Jamie was occupying the room that had been his ever since he had first come to the handsome house on Commonwealth Avenue, a crippled boy in a wheelchair. The picture of him, as she had known him first, took shape in Pollyanna's mind with such vividness she almost forgot that, in the interval since, he had grown up and become an author of considerable distinction. Her knock at his door was peremptory. She stood waiting for a half minute, without results, and then knocked again. A low voice replied, "'I'd rather not see anyone, please.' "'Jamie Carew,' Pollyanna called, in very much the tone she would have used in correcting Junior. "'Open that door this minute. I want to speak to you.'" End of chapter 21